When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Hi, everyone. I'm Wilmer Valderrama. And I'm MR Raquel. Welcome back to Essential Voices. It's so great to be back with more stories from essential workers around the country. And of course, I've missed my main man. Ryan, you know you're talking about me, right? You? Mm, nah. What? What the hell? <laughs> okay, okay, you got me. Uh, of course. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, what, the, <laughs> what are you talking about? What other podcaster you're talking about over here? Uh oh. <laughs> well, I missed having these moments with you as rarely as we have them, but I am happy to see you, Amar, which is why I'm stoked to be back today. So, what we got going on this week? So this week, we're focusing on early childhood education, specifically in a bilingual context. You know, last fall, we had the pleasure of speaking with essential worker Carolina Reyes, who's a director at Arco Iris Bilingual Children's Center in Maryland. When the pandemic hit, like for many other small businesses working to provide essential services to their communities, Carolina Center faced financial challenges on top of working every day to provide a safe learning environment for young children. Carolina shared with us how she got creative to teach her kids about the importance of masking and hand washing, how she supported her teachers throughout the pandemic, and what makes bilingual early education so special. After our conversation with Carolina, we'll have a roundtable discussion with Dr. Lynette Fraga, who is an expert in early learning and CEO of Child Care Aware of America, along with possibly my favorite guest ever, model, dive master, my partner, and mother to our beautiful baby girl, Nakano, also my hero for making us a family, Amanda Pacheco. I'm so glad we could finally bring Amanda into the conversation. It was so incredible for Amanda and me to have an opportunity to ask Dr. Fraga so many questions uh, that, you know, kind of we've been asking ourselves and each other as uh, new parents over the last year. So, so thankful for her wisdom. It was a really great, great conversation. Yeah, it really was, and it's going to be a great show today. So let's do it up. Carolina's story starts right now. My name is Carolina Reyes. I'm originally from Chile. I emigrated to the United States 23 years ago now. And I am a mother, a wife, a sister, 
and a strong advocate for early childhood education for the childcare community in the area where I work with. Wonderful. Carolina, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to talk to us and uh, having this conversation with me. I wanted to start with just, you know, what inspired you to start this bilingual preschool? I'm going to tell you this. When I immigrated to the United States, my first job was in a bilingual child kid in Seattle. And I always work back home in my country with children. And I wanted to create Arcoiris because I love working with children. I, that was my first job in the United States. I always wanted to be able to provide early and rich experiences to the children. And why not to do it with a little bit of my culture? What do you think is the biggest challenge as a bilingual early educational type of provider? There are a few challenges. One of the things that when people hear bilingual preschool, they have a misconception about who is coming to Arcoiris. A lot of people, when they see that, they believe that the majority of the people who come to my school are Latinos, which is not the case. So one of the challenges many times is when I have received phone calls for parents, they call and they ask me, I want you to prepare my child to go to kindergarten, but I don't want you to speak Spanish to them. And that to me, bring me like the challenge to be able to let the people understand that bilingual education is so relevant. We, if we provide this rich tool to our children, they're going to be able to achieve so many things, right? If we start talking about what bilingual education does to your brain, then we're going to be here for hours talking about it. But also the challenge that I see right now is for my teachers. The teachers who come to my school are immigrant Latina teachers who love what they do. And many times they are newly immigrants who have higher degrees from their countries, but they don't have English yet. So in this case, even though we are teaching the children in Spanish, we are missing the opportunity for these teachers to be able to acquire the English language. So for me, that's a very strong challenge because I want, and that's what I'm advocating a lot lately, to be able to see if we can some way provide more opportunities and resources for those teachers to be able to obtain professional development, coaching and mentoring on their language. You come at the point of our conversation where we remind ourselves the unfortunate introduction of a pandemic and how it all changed for educators, for educational facilities. What was your experience like? Will you tell me a little bit about how did it affect, you know, what you did? For me, one of the big impact when we heard about the pandemic was the lack of appreciation and that we were not being seen by our elected officials. I'm going to tell you this. And here in Maryland, when the governor tell everybody we're going to be closing all schools, child care was not even mentioned. We were not even part of anything. That particular day gave me the power to start doing something. And I wrote my uh, delegate and I wrote to her and I said, look, the governor haven't even mentioned what we're going to do. What is going to happen to our teachers? How are we going to pay them? How are we going to be able to survive? What is going to happen to those parents who need to go work and then we need to close or we don't have to close? So that, I think, it was the initiation of what is happening right now with childcare in the United States. I think that gave us the power to start saying that we are the backbone of the economy, that we are the ones who are taking care of 
the future leader of the United States. And we are not even mentioned. We were not essential. We were not never at all. And that's when I think not just me, but many, many of me in the United States start saying loudly and clear that we needed to have a system. We needed to have the resources for us to be able to continue helping our families. But in addition to that, it was sudden because I needed to close my school. I was closed for four months before I reopened again to be able to serve my families. But with that, I lost my teachers. And I lost my teachers because it's a big reason. Childcare in the United States, like many other care jobs in the United States, they don't have good wages. These benefits are lacking. So think about it. In a worldwide crisis that is suffering and people are dying. My teachers needed to make this huge decision of, do I go back to work? Do I risk my life? I thought that I tried to pay as best as I can with the little money that I get, to be honest with you, to pay my teachers. But I could understand why they didn't return because they were not ready to take this risk. And right now that's the crisis that we have in the United States. People don't want to come to work in childcare and many other jobs who don't pay you livable wages, right? Because why for? Why I'm risking my life if you are not showing me appreciation, you are not showing me that my job is viable. I can go on and on and talk to you for hours about all the challenges that we have faced and particularly myself. Unfortunately, the church where I ran gave me the news on December that they will not be able to have me in that location anymore, that I needed to move or become a nonprofit. So less than half of the enrollment at my center already, which was already financially almost going to close, I needed to now find a new place for me to be able to, you know, relocate my arcoiris and to really to decide, should I relocate or should I just close this forever? To make this story short, I just, you know, relocated. Today I have my final inspection. So I closed that chapter now. And now I am going to just reopen the doors in a new place, trying to be positive and stay positive to see if I can continue having the families coming back. But this COVID thing is unfortunately something that is not gone yet. And some families are still not, you know, 100% comfortable. So as you go into a possible reopening of your new place, can you tell me a little bit about how you pivot? Like, how do you create the safety protocols that probably will give the families the confidence that, you know, the kids are going to be safe and the staff as well, right? Because you need the staff to come back to work too. So what is that looking like for you? We are following the guidelines and the protocols. Parents are not allowed into the building. All children must wear masks. And that is when it comes the beauty about childcare and when you are a preschool teacher. You are able to teach the little ones how to wear a mask. A lot of the parents were worried, like, no, they're too little. But not. If you put all into your, you're happy, you should, you tell them, hey, we're going to be superheroes. Let's wear a mask. We had to talk to them about COVID. Children need to know what is going on, too. Many times some parents, they're like, they don't understand, but they do. They do understand everything. So when you make things fun and when you tell and you explain to children why do we need to wash our hands so many times and why do we need to you know, sing this song for this long to wash the germs away. So with all of that, we take temperatures every day and we have to do it throughout the day. And teachers, too. Now all my teachers are vaccinated. So that is something that we protected a little bit more. 
I wonder if you've noticed that the students have changed after being kept at home for so long. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And and in particular, it's understandable. You know, when children come to any center, at least my center, we do have a schedule. Children come and they have learning experience. They have different activities and we have a routine. We, and the routine helps them to go throughout the day. And sometimes at home, when parents needed to work, they didn't have that. So many of them were babysit by a TV or they were just on their phones or their devices. And uh, when they come back, transitions are more difficult. And especially because parents are nowhere, not able to come into the classrooms anymore. They were just being dropped at the door. And the social emotional aspect, true. Some of them were more like into themselves. Some of them were more emotional and some of them really didn't understand what was going on. And that's when it comes the beauty about early childhood education and for other teachers who really study that child development is so essential in so many ways. And that is why, you know, in Arcoiris, we created the routine where well, we always had the routine, but we created routines, particularly to talk about COVID, particularly talk about emotions. And that is something that in the United States, sometimes we don't see much. When children start in kindergarten, we just start focusing on what they need to learn. And we forget about the social emotional aspect of the development. And in Arcoiris and many of my college centers, we do that. We touch base on how we feel. How do you feel? Are you sad? Are you angry? Because many times children have these emotions and they don't understand what it is. So we need to be able to give them the tools for them to be able to identify what's going on. And that's why in Arcoiris we have little faces. So even if they are two years old and not able to maybe express themselves with language yet, they're gonna be able to show me and point me how they're feeling. And it's okay, we value that if you are upset and mad, it's okay to be mad. And what can we do when we are mad? Yeah, we can step our food, we can go and maybe have a little scream. And those are emotions are valid. In my opinion, the pandemic had brought that to attention to the mental health for all, for the families, you know, for my parents, for my children, for my teachers, for my own family. I think it's very, very important and relevant to take care of ourselves. In that coin, how do you personally take care of your own mental health? Since I love what I do and sometimes I get very passionate about it, I had the tendency, to be honest with you, to forget about to take the little break for myself. But I think I have relearned this past year that I must do this for myself. I think I had tried hard and to be able to say no to certain things, not to try to do everything. And I'm a very artistic person, so I love to paint and I love to do things. So I found embroidery. Wow, that's great. Yes. Embroidery this year have given me the opportunity to just release whatever was going on and do breathing exercise and yoga. I love hiking. So I give myself to do those little things, you know. How can we as a community support what you are doing and what messages do you want to leave for future early childhood educators? I strongly believe that all of you out there who are listening to me today can go out, write to your elected officials and tell them that we need to have more financial investment in early childhood education starting at birth. 
parents need to be able to write to their elected officials and let them know too that they need support to be able to pay for childcare, which is very expensive. We also need for you to advocate for the childcare teachers who are in the field as well. They are strong, working, lovely people who invest their lives, even though they have, you know, a salary, they invest their love to your children. They are taking care of the most precious thing that you have in your life. And we need to, somewhere or another, put ourselves together and work together to let people know that childcare in the United States is a right, that we need investment, and we need to be able to reinforce better salaries and benefits for the teachers so we can keep those wonderful teachers who work in the fields, write them, advocate for them as much as you can. And you know, when you see them, tell them that we appreciate you, that childcare teachers are relevant and that we value what you do. Carolina, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And you are the one who is doing that already. You are advocating, helping me to have this opportunity to talk about childcare. Thank you. I admire Carolina so much, especially her uh, tenacity and fierce advocacy for her teachers and children. I keep thinking back to her point about these teachers uh, taking care of the most precious thing in your life. As a parent myself, you know, that really resonated. Yeah, absolutely. She also pointed out how childcare educators are the backbone of the economy, which reminded me back way back in the day when we spoke to Denise Fredericks about the rights for domestic workers. If those that we love most aren't getting the care that they need, the rest of the world literally stops. Exactly. And I also love hearing all the creative ways she teaches the little ones, especially that beautiful story about masks and superheroes. <laughs> and in a way, we're all heroes when we wear our mask. Absolutely. When we get back from the break, we'll have our roundtable conversation with CEO of Child Care Aware of America, Dr. Lynette Fraga, and my chimichurri, Amanda Pacheco. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Thank you both for uh, listening. Mr. how are you? I'm doing great, Wilmer. 
How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm so happy to be doing this episode specifically because of how personal it is to me now in many ways. Um, thank you, uh, Dr. Fraga. And I also want to thank uh, a special lady in my life, Amanda Rimesmith Pacheco. She is my fiance, soon-to-be wife, and also the mother of my beautiful Nakano. She is the superhero of our life. She is uh, the everything of my existence. So I am very proud that she can be here to really humanize our family in this conversation, knowing the personal experience we've been having with the topic itself and the dilemmas as we think about the future of Little Nakano as well. So that being said, I'd love to start just off the bat with your reactions. What are your reactions to Carolina's story? And let's start with you, uh, Ms. Amanda. Well, first off, thanks for that very humble introduction. Yeah, I was reading. I'm blushing. (laughs) So I loved listening to her story so much just because so much of the things that she was saying is very relevant to what we're going through right now. And it definitely resonates. I'm just incredibly inspired by her entire journey, especially because, you know, she was faced basically at a roadblock and she could go one of two directions. She could either continue pursuing what she was so passionate about and what she loved, or she could have just given up in those moments when you get over that hurdle. You know, I really always believe that super magical things happen. So I absolutely love what she's doing. I love that her focus in her preschool is bilingual, being Mexican-American. And of course, you and our family, they are fluent in Spanish. And she talks about other focuses that she you know, focuses on in her preschool, for instance, mental health care and checking in on her students. So there's just a lot of things that spoke to me. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing what doctor has to uh, your feedback on the things that spoke to you, because this is a very relevant conversation to us. And Nakano isn't in school right now or isn't starting preschool, but these are all conversations and things that we definitely are going to be thinking about and talking about very soon. Dr. Frager, what about you? What came up? What are your reactions? Oh my gosh. My first reaction is what an amazing person who has committed her whole being, frankly, to the service of and the support of children and families. And it was so clear her passion emanates from every word she says. And that passion is not only transformed the lives of probably many, many children that have been in her care, but also her point of advocacy really came through so strongly for me. And unfortunately, what is point of inspiration is also a point of frustration because there are so, so many Carolinas all across the United States who feel just as passionately, who are making so many amazing changes and unfortunately are facing so many similar barriers that they are experiencing in their own communities um, as they try to make a change. And, And I think that is the opportunity that is before us. Definitely. I mean, this has been a thread that we've encountered across many of the stories that we've recorded, which shows that across so many different industries, worker leaders like Carolina are sharing experiences that demonstrate the toll that essential work has been taking on folks throughout the last couple of years. But also, as you just said, there's opportunity within the barriers. One of these barriers for Carolina is having the community at large understand that bilingual early childhood education is not just for Latin or Latinx families. And moving the needle to highlight the importance of bilingual education 
become actually a desirable framework for child care centers and for non-Latin or Latinx kids to grow up bilingual. And for me, that wasn't an option when I was a kid, given that the way that bilingual education has been publicly viewed or even available, it's really changed a lot in the last couple of decades. I mean, and even worse, I mean, to complement what you're saying, Mart, when I came to America, I had to do ESL classes, English as a second language, right? And it's a really interesting thing because anybody who was in ESL classes had this perception. They were like, worse than in the 80s when you were in the chess club. <laughs> like literally worse. Like you're like, if you couldn't really communicate or say hi to carry some type of conversation, you were, in, you were exactly inferior. You were uneducated. You were some type of... You know, not someone to be commuted with. Um, it, it was really it's a real thing. That's a hard thing. And I'm glad you offered that as well. Yeah, totally. It's beautiful that Carolina is operating a bilingual child care center, which it's thriving and providing essential educational services for a diverse group of kids. I just totally love hearing about it. And what a different generation, because I really think that young Latinos are growing up with more of an interest to be Latino than ever before. And their parents are now falling into a conversation where they're like, I should have taught them <laughs> Spanish early, you know? Well, we also actually know right now from the science that children who actually do learn multiple languages have an opportunity to problem solve differently. You're literally thinking and reacting in different languages. And the science actually shows how these neurons inside your brain are going off in a different way. So it's absolutely opposite of sort of the, the ism of the past, right, or of the present, unfortunately, around how language could really be a detriment. It's actually a complete advantage to be bilingual. And to your point, Mr. I just love how she has taken that strength and translated it into a very special place for children to learn and grow. That's absolutely spot on, Dr. Fraga. Thank you for sharing that. I couldn't agree more that Arcoiris is a blessing to, to their local community. And to pivot a little bit and take some time to acknowledge your incredible expertise within this field, Dr. Fraga, the organization where you work is called Child Care Aware of America. Can you tell us what you're all about? So Child Care Aware of America is a national nonprofit organization of child care resource and referral agencies and other partners all across the United States. So these are community-based nonprofit organizations that are focused on making information available to parents and early care and education providers about quality, affordable, accessible care. How do providers become providers and how are they supported and how do parents find and understand quality care? And a big part of what we do is advocate and provide opportunities exactly like the inspiring early care and education provider we just heard. You know, Carolina's voice is a very strong one uh, that's raised up and, and we, we do research as well. We collect a lot of data about what's happening in the United States around child care to, to make sure that each and every child in the United States has access to quality care. Wow, what amazing work you're all doing. Thanks so much for highlighting a bit of what's going on behind the scenes for us. And for you, Dr. Fraga, what in particular drew you to childcare education and advocacy and what makes you passionate about this work? It's been an interesting road, actually. So I um, 
I also am a proud Latina, um, as you all were sharing about earlier, and I'm one of those individuals who did not learn Spanish as a young child for many, many reasons that probably all of you could reflect on. And so my commitment has always been around family and children and communities and how do we honor identity um, and children's identity and their growth. And so I'm a mom. I'm a mom as well of two beautiful sons, a single parent for much of both of their childhoods. And I'm also um, a military child. So I lived all over the country. I attended about 10 schools growing up and um, all over the country and overseas. And through my personal experience and my professional experience, Social justice and service really is a part of my soul. Um, Those experiences growing up um, really did reflect my commitment around community and around family. Uh, And I found my life's passion and purpose in children and families and community. And I've really been learning from them ever since. And I can remember my first experiences in college. I'm also the first person in my family to go to college my first experience in college in education was really working with older children. I was really working with um, children with behavior disorders and or other uh, challenges or special needs. And uh, what I what I really learned through those experiences is there was so much more happening around setting experiences and service experiences. There's a whole ecosystem that surrounded children and families. And there was a real necessity to try and think about where does all of this start? And that's where I went into early childhood and the settings where children were, you know, we thought about young children where our children, they're in childcare. And that's often where we can make connections in communities for families and particularly working families is in childcare settings. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your trajectory and what's brought us all here today. And because we have two new parents in the room, I'd be remiss if I don't turn things over to both of you, Amanda and Wilmer, and ask you, after listening to Carolina's story and being here with Dr. Fraga, do either of you have questions about Nakano's childcare or early education for Dr. Fraga? Oh my gosh, I have all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> it is uh, pretty interesting the amount of questions that you have becoming a new parent. And it makes you realize how little you know about everything that's going on. <laughs> um, you know, you had mentioned about quality care and um, making people more aware of what that consists of. So what does that consist of? And like, (laughs) what should we be looking for when we, you know, come to that step of enrolling her and things like that? And also, I'm curious about even putting her into childcare versus preschool. Like, do those go hand in hand? And what are the differences? And are there different qualifications, I would assume, or accreditations that preschools have that I would imagine that childcare doesn't? How does that, you know, these are such great questions, Amanda, such great questions. And first, I just want to say off the top, you are not alone. (laughs) Um, Me included, by the way, me included. Um, When I had my two children, I was just as concerned about not having the answers written on a sheet of paper that could help to guide me in parenting this little person that I cared so much about. So in terms of your question about 
you know, what is quality? What is quality childcare? My first response to you is the quality actually is embodied in the early care and education provider. That's where quality really emanates from at its source. And I think you heard that in Carolina's passion and compassion and understanding not only about child development, which she raised in her comments, but also about her relationship with the other teachers, the environment that's provided, and her relationship with parents about what they cared about and what they're concerned about. So when I think about quality, the first place I go is how is the teacher How is the educator with your child? And children are learning from birth. There are all sorts of amazing things happening from birth that really is nurtured by the adults in their lives. And the partnership between parents and that educator is where the magic happens. So the first thing I would say is is the relationship is where everything happens for very young children. And that can happen in all kinds of settings to your second question about, is it preschool? Is it childcare? Are they the same things? Um, Is it a center? brick and mortar center, or is it a family child care in someone else's home? Again, that quality is manifested, not necessarily only in the setting, but really in the relationship with the educator. So first, of course, we want our children to be healthy and safe, right? So making sure that there are health and safety requirements that are met and standards that are met to ensure that the health and safety is absolutely key for any setting that you choose. But really, it's about what are the needs of families? And I think we're getting closer to that question, um, even now as we're trying to unpack what a new childcare system and early care and learning system could look like. But as families are and as parents are trying to select quality care, thinking about what's most important to you as a parent. I heard a lot in this conversation about the importance of language and speaking Spanish and culture and connection. So having conversations with the early care and education provider about how can you support that? That provider doesn't necessarily have to be bilingual, but how are they going to encourage what's important to you as a parent? That's going to extend to how it shows up in quality care with your child. We'll be right back after this break. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, 
how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Yeah, that's great. I, I It's funny because I, I remember it takes me back to my Venezuelan days when I was because I, I moved back to Venezuela when I was about three years old. And uh, I was there until I was about 14. And I was failing all my English classes. I mean, every English class I took in Venezuela was straight up F. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so when I look back at like that faithful day when my dad said like, we're moving back to America. I was like, what? Because I never thought in my life I would have to learn how to speak English, you know. So that was a really uh, moment at 13, 14 years old to figure out like, oh, wow. I now have to learn how to speak a full language. Just when I thought that I figure out who I am, I now I'm thrown into a whole different pond, you know? But I, you know, I circle it back to what Amanda was saying, you know, it becomes a chicken before the egg because my experience is not Nakano's, which is my daughter. Uh, and my experience is also not Amanda's, right? Because she also has a very, a pretty American Latino story, you know? I have a pretty immigrant story. You know, and I think it's a really interesting thing to bring that up as a part of the conversation, because what are the values that you do borrow from both sides and how do you move forward with that? You know, I I mean, I, I think that if she learns how to speak Spanish before she learns how to speak English, she'll be the president of the United States. No doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's like, to me, I mean, that's the secret sauce. That's the secret sauce for absolutely everything. You have a child that's about four years old and knows how to speak English and Spanish and then decides to take French just for fun. <laughs> that's yeah. soon to be you know president <laughs> of the United States and and the reason why is because with those interests come the wonder of the people around you the communities where the influences you know what those what those languages are attached to you you also explore the world in a very different way but I'm going to be asking you some more questions so I think I'm going to skip this personal question because I have more questions on my on my list for you but MR Nakano has two rock star parents. I can definitely say that. And she's in such caring hands with you both. I'm really glad that we can carve out some space for you to ask questions with Dr. Fraga here. And bringing us back to Carolina for a moment. In her story, Carolina calls early childcare educators the backbone of the economy. And Dr. Fraga, what's your take on Carolina's sentiment there? It's true. They're the workforce behind the workforce, right? Absent the ability for early care and education providers to go to work and to be able to provide care, uh, we really are in dire straits because families aren't able to go to work. So what we're really seeing is the lack and insufficient public investment in childcare really leaves the challenge of employees of the workforce to figure it out. And oftentimes families are cobbling together solutions that are really not in service to children. You know, at the center of this too, we're balancing two things. We're balancing the need to support families and families' ability to work so that they can support their families. And we're also talking about a child development setting, right? And settings that children can learn and grow and thrive and nourish themselves, nourish their social emotional development, like Carolina was speaking about, and nourish their physical development. And both things have to be part of the equation. So at the high cost of childcare care 
the high burden we place on the early care and education workforce, the budgets of families, particularly low-income families, at the same time those working in childcare are paid so little, it really does undermine their ability to be able to provide high-quality care and make ends meet on their own. Like Carolina spoke to, she spoke to the fact that she was at a fork in the road because she was unable to keep her small business going, which by the way, many early care and education providers are women and oftentimes women of color, small business owners, and they are having to close their doors. And that's a real problem. Um, and they can't make ends meet for their own families. So truly important for us to keep in mind how we think about the essential nature of the work of early care and education providers not only supports the economy and the economics of communities, it also supports families and children's ability to be able to thrive. And the backbone part of it is we have to make sure we get it right for those early care and education providers who are trying to provide that care. Mm, Thank you so much. You've definitely shed light on what Carolina was saying in her story and contextualizing the child care provider perspective. And since we have our two new parents in the room, I want to turn it back over to you, Amanda, and ask sort of a bigger question. We're obviously still wading through the waters of this pandemic, and Nakano was born during the pandemic. So what's it been like raising Nakano during the pandemic? And, you know, especially given what you've heard from both Carolina and Dr. Fraga today, does anything that we've covered affect how you're envisioning Nakano's educational future? So raising Nakano in a pandemic, uh, that question kind of makes both my mind and my heart like explode because there has been so many just different emotions during out this entire period. Of course, the emotions of just uneasiness and like a little fearful uncertainty, but also like a little bit of peace at the same time. Like it's just, it's so chaotic because it's a combination of just so many different things and it's not the same things. It's just all over the place, right? At first, when she was born, we were in the pretty thick of the pandemic. And so we had like that moment where we weren't seeing friends and family. It it was also the peacefulness of that at the same time um, because it really allowed us to, have time, which was something that we, without the pandemic, wouldn't have had. It allowed, you know, Wilmer to be home and to have this quality time with the family. So it's been all over the place. Um, I agree 100%. I think there was, for a lot of families, it feels like it was a very serendipitous time. And then for a lot of other families, it was a moment of chaos. It was an unfortunate time for a lot of people to explore certain comfort zones that were ripped beneath them, like um, not being able to send their kids to school and then having the kids to school full time. I think much of these conversations is is subjective to the story and the individual, you know, but I, I really do believe that the common thread is if Amanda and I would have looked at it as like, well, I mean, we don't have this, we don't have that, we can't travel here, we can't have that, we can have this, you know, you know, the more you focus on what we technically don't have and, you know, not invest into the things that we do have, this pandemic could have been a very dark time for a relationship and new parents. And at a time where it's not like she was going to mommy classes with other people. It's not like she was really reading books or having friends that actually gave her any sound advice. 
you know? Yeah, we definitely relied on each other the most because like you said, we didn't really have these classes that we were attending or anything like that. Uh, That actually brings me to a question because we are utilizing more time, I would say, to do these things more on our own. Um, So like for you, what, what does that look like in the future for this generation who is being taught things, subjects in school by uh, us. (laughs) So let me first say, Amanda, that you have a degree in loving your child. So that I think is the most important degree to have. Do I have one of those too? You have one of those too. Absolutely. You have one of those too. (laughs) And I think that that is one of the most important things that your child really learns and grows from is that love and connection with their parents. And it's a special, special gift. I think where you're all speaking to Amanda too, is the anxiety and the concern that parents of children of any age, frankly, um, have experienced through the pandemic, which is what kind of loss did they experience through the pandemic? And what does the transition look like back into school or a care setting that is different than their experience through the pandemic. And and that can create a lot of anxiety and concern for families. And unfortunately, what we've also seen is anxiety and concern and early childhood mental health needs for um, very young children. And um, that is often demonstrated through a lot of other things like families who experience stress families who've experienced the loss of a home or the loss of employment, families who've experienced a loss of a loved one um, through COVID, the kinds of traumas and experiences that could really be challenging for families is something that uh, the loss of, a, of an early care and education provider, you know, the loss of being in a care setting and then leaving that trusted provider for some time and then trying to integrate back into that program. So there are ways, though, because we do have the opportunity through quality care provision where we are focused on the social emotional development. Again, back to the brilliance of Carolina and how she shared about how she spoke with her children about what was happening in the classroom, right? Spoke with her children about the meaning making of masks and hand washing, the meaning making of what it means to drop off your child in a COVID reality versus dropping off the child and transitioning that child outside of a COVID reality. In a COVID reality, that parent transition looks very different and there's maybe separation anxiety shows up differently, et cetera. But when you have a magician, a loving magician like a Carolina who really understands child development and understands that child and understands the relationship with the parent, they can provide the kind of environment that really helps that child demonstrate resilience and strong social emotional development. Um, Similarly, Amanda, in all of the experiences I'm sure that you're providing your daughter, there are magic makers, these amazing brain architects and supporters of children that are going to welcome your child. I think what we have to raise up is they need support too. And I think that's the really important triangles. We're talking about children, we're talking about parents, and we're talking about the early childhood educator. And that triangle of a relationship and making sure 
each of those parts gets the supports they need, whether it's early intervention for the child, whether it's parent supports in some form or fashion, let's say in the case that I raised earlier, housing or some other kind of support and supports for the early childhood educator, like Carolina mentioned around professional development and training in that provider's language as a way of expanding their own professional development. I think that ecosystem of support gets to your question. And that's why it's so incredibly important for us to raise up legislation like the Build Back Better Act that is putting investment and a tremendous amount of investment in um, a system that needs it, because that's the system that'll be holding up that triangle. I have one last question that I can't uh, forget to ask you, doctor, before we wrap this up. Um, That just popped up in my mind, actually. Going back to the bilingual conversation, just real quick, Carolina said something about people calling her and asking for her services, but saying that they didn't want them to be taught bilingual. And I'm so curious, why wouldn't they want their children to be bilingual? Because both you and Carolina were stating that there is so many advantages, so many opportunities, so much more fun that could be had. Um, So what can we say to, to make them feel the opposite, to be like, yes, like, absolutely. This is definitely even more of an advantage and perk that we could send our child to a bilingual child care? So I, I think that what is really helpful is providing information. So we have decades of science of what and how children learn in the earliest years. And the fact that, you know, so much brain development happens in the first three years of life and layering on that additional science that we're hearing and learning about how children acquire knowledge and the impacts and implications of learning multiple language on children's ability to be able to problem solve. I think that educating is really important. And, you know, families will make independent and individual choices for sure for themselves and for their children. And I think it's really helpful for us to raise up what we know about how children learn and develop and the advantages that we see as a result of that kind of learning. So by providing information, I think that can go a long way, not only around things like what bilingual education may promote and how it can be such a beautiful opportunity for young children, but also all sorts of other things and how children learn and what quality looks like and the idea of the importance of the relationship and how education happens from birth. All of those things coming together, I think, could go a hugely long way for our communities, our national community to really understand how critically important early learning is. And so there's, I think, layers of science and information and data that can be provided for families to really make these choices. But we have to talk about um, early learning first. Our children don't start learning in kindergarten. Our children start learning from birth. And it's absolutely past time for us to put the importance on children learning from birth. And this is one way we can do that. So briefly, Dr. Bragg, can you tell us a little bit of how our community can support what you are doing? 
One of the most important things for all of your audience to do is to raise their voice, to raise their voice, reach out to their elected officials and share about how important this issue is to them, to their families, to their children. We're going to be releasing a new report, Demanding Change, Repairing Our Child Care System, and it outlines the child care system and how it has changed since the beginning of the pandemic and how many licensed child care providers, you know, 16,000 or so have permanently closed across the United States. So, you know, raising our voice and saying that's not okay. Uh, We need early care and education. We need quality early care and education. Uh, We need to make sure that we think about how we support children and families differently. Uh, Reach out to those elected officials and let them know um, there are solutions out there and we need them. Even though I don't have kids, I do have little primos who I adore, and I was definitely taking notes for my family to pass along after hearing all of Dr. Fraga's experience. I love those moments when Amanda brought her own questions to the table as well. Yeah, we got so much out of the conversation. It was just such a privilege, you know, to talk to her, not just about the big picture questions, but the everyday concerns we face as parents. We talk a lot on this show about what gives us hope and knowing that educators like Carolina and advocates like Dr. Fraga are out there fighting for the next generation gives us well, just so much hope. Here, here. And not to be too corny, but knowing that Nakano has such amazing parents just totally makes my heart swell. Does that hurt? It sounds like physically it would hurt. I mean, in a good way. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Well, thank you, Emma. I appreciate those words. That's really sweet. And we're certainly trying to figure out day by day. So next week, we'll talk with essential worker Sean Troy about his multi-generational work at Troy's Funeral Home in Mullins, South Carolina. We'll then follow the conversation with a roundtable with the executive director of Faith Matters Network, one of my favorite people to talk to, Reverend Jen Bailey, and reporter, author, actress, and businesswoman, also one of my sisters for life, Maria Menunos. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, M.R. Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski with production support from associate producer Lillian Holman, executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. This episode was edited by M.R. Raquel and Sean Tracy and features original music by Will Rosati. Special thanks to this week's Essential Voice, Carolina Reyes, and to our thought leaders, Dr. Lynette Fraga from Child Care Aware of America and Amanda Pacheco. Additional thanks to Meg Bialas, Jasmine Smith, Emily Kelly, David Carrier, the team at Child Care Aware of America, and Daniel Reyes. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion Lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. 
Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.